On this episode of Ragcast Outdoors, David sits down with Roy from That's Bowhunting.com to talk about calling in monster bull elk, riding bulls, and much, much more. This is an episode that you're definitely not going to want to miss. So sit back and enjoy this episode of Ragcast Outdoors. This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Well, hello and welcome everybody to another edition of Radcast Outdoors. Today you have the uh, the wonderful experience of just listening to me as Patrick is on the road traveling, working. So we will uh, we miss you dearly, Patrick. We look forward to you on the next episode. But today I have Mister uh, That's Bow Hunting Roy was with us, and we're going to talk about oh whatever we feel like today. Yeah, like it could get deep <laughs> <laughs> or not. So. If those of you don't know, you know, Roy and I met last year, him and JC run a company called That's Bow Hunting, and they've got some epic films out there, you know, YouTube, so go ahead and give them the, give them the spiel. Yeah, we started filming a few years ago, and uh, we got a couple seasons out now, and uh, we're on all the social media flat platforms pretty much, Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube, uh, you can find about everything we filmed is on YouTube right now. And it's just under that's bow hunting, and uh, you know, that's heck. It's a long story, really, how it all got started. But uh, JC and I used to be professional bull riders for a living, and uh, kind of got met up that way, and uh, kind of realized that we both hunted and started talking that way. Now, you you mentioned to me just not to hijack you there a little bit, <laughs> but you mentioned to me that elk hunting was the only thing that came close to getting on the back of a bull. Is that true? Yeah, it's pretty close. It's, you know, you get a screaming bull coming in, you know, breaking stuff through the brush, uh, getting that heart pounding. That's about as close as you can get. Uh, the only difference is the bull, Mike. You know, the, the elk, if he sees you, he's probably going to spook, spook versus a uh, bucking bull is probably going to run over you. So so, so give us, <laughs> give the listeners a little bit about, you know, because I want to hear about your career bull riding and, you know, because I haven't done much of it and that's yeah. not my forte. So, Well, I mean – you know, for 10 years, that's how I made a living, and I went up and down the road. I traveled all over the United States, and uh, like I mentioned, that's how I met JC. Uh, I've made a lot of lot of good contacts over the years uh, through bull riding, and, you know, I was born and raised in Kentucky, on uh, you know, now live in Casper, Wyoming, and, uh, you know, part of that was moving out there to do that's bow hunting, and, uh, but, uh, but no, I mean, I, I attribute a lot, you know, my, my mentality, you know, the toughness in the field, um, the, I don't know, hard headedness, I guess, contributed that to bull riding, uh, that carries over into my hunting. And, you know, I've told several people this, I don't think, uh, you know, growing up in Kentucky, uh, hunting whitetails that I ever would have came West had I not rode bulls. And, you know, that gave me the confidence to leave home and to actually go somewhere and try something different. Um, and, um, you know, we're, Coming up on 11 years ago, J.C. and I went elk hunting together for the first time. We'd both started elk hunting the year before I drew a coveted Kentucky, 
uh, elk tag. They haven't had elk very long. No. And Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation was a big oh, sponsor yeah. of transporting those. And yeah, they, that they were a big key in that. And, uh, you know, now Kentucky has the biggest elk herd uh, east of the Mississippi. And, uh, and they're killing some big bulls in oh, there, yeah. too, now. Yeah, they're killing some big bulls there. and uh, 350 plus kind yeah. of. I think uh, I think the state record. Don't quote me on this, but it's I think it's four hundred two or four hundred four or something like that. I mean, it's you get one of those tags, you're yeah, you're gonna have a shot in a a bull uh, that anybody'd be happy with. Yeah, and you know, I I drew that tag and I'd never been elk hunting. Period. I didn't know anything, and just started watching, of course, Primo's videos and you know the stuff people do that don't know anything. Asking every question to everybody. You you've elk hunted? How do I do it? (laughs) Right, we've all been and, there. Uh, and, you know, JC, he was born and raised in Casper, but had never been elk hunting either. Uh, and he drew a seven tag that year, and first time ever elk hunting went in a seven tag. Which I don't. He didn't end up killing a bull that year. Looking um, back, maybe maybe could have saved, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> saved some yeah, heartache and gone somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, prob- probably should have did a few over the counter general tags, you know, type deals before he took and you know bailed off into that. But it was a learning experience, and he learned a lot from it. And you know, him learning from that, I benefited it from that as well, getting knowledge from him and what he experienced. And uh, we have a listener that's bragged area seven up pretty good. And I, I've never been over there, but I, I'm sure it's, I've, it's good. I've hunted seven twice, not with a tag. I was helping, you know, J, I helped JC one year and then we went in with another buddy another year and you, you get in the right spot. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, but if you're not in the right spot, it sucks just like everywhere else. It's, it's pretty easily accessed. There's quite yeah. a few cow hunters in there. There's still yeah. some pressure. It's not, it's not, Elk hunting is not a slam dunk. No. I don't care who you are no. or where you go. No. You know, even even those really good tags, unless you got access to all kinds of private, then, yeah, you're still going to work for it. it. It doesn't matter. So back to bull riding, you know, how'd that go? Um, I mean, you're still walking around in one piece, not it, broke up too bad, huh? It, it went well, and I loved it. It was a huge part of my life for a long time. When it started, really, I I would say the traveling got to me more than anything. Uh, ten, ten years in this is how long I did that for a living and uh I did really well at it. I made a I made a living doing it. Uh I didn't get rich by any means. Uh I wish the better years that I had had I'd been a little better about saving money and putting some stuff back versus thinking I'm never going to have another poor day. New new pickup and, and uh, Oh yeah, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, we're getting new tires on the pickup this weekend, you know. And it's just when you're young and dumb, you don't you don't think about the future it's like what okay We're friday night yeah 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 what's today what's next week you know but eventually it kind of i had a son that was a big game changer for me um we we put off having kids me and my wife for seven years of our marriage we didn't have kids and it was because i was gone on the road at least four days a week it seemed like and that was year round so finally we had a had a son and um i mean my drive just almost completely left to to get up and leave and be gone three or four days at a time um, after he was born. And uh, so I, it was just like, I need, I got to have something to fill this gap, you know. And, uh, you know, I've hunted, had hunted my whole life and really been in hunting and archery mainly. So that's when JC and I started, went and hunted together. I was going to Colorado to hunt because I could get an over-counter tag there because I didn't have any points anywhere to do anywhere anything else and uh he called me up out of the blue and and to actually asked me about a bow that he was thinking about buying and wanting my opinion on it and then uh i said yeah I'm, I'm going to colorado this fall and he said well who's going with you 
And I said, well, I had three or four guys going, but as we've actually got to putting tires to the pavement that this is happening, they've all backed out, so it's me by myself. He said, uh, yeah, it sounds like I'm going to be going by myself, too. Why don't we just meet up and go together? And we did. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, second day, which was my first day up. I killed a bull like 9.30 that morning. That started that from from there, and I mean, since then, we've not missed an elk season together, and this will be 11 years. Well, so. having hung around you and JC, some days I would think you two don't really like each other. <laughs> well, we're, we're kind of like brothers in a way. Uh, it's the best <laughs> way you can put it. Uh, you know, you can get mad if you want to, but ain't nobody leaving. So <laughs> so, uh, so go over there and be mad. Yeah. We'll talk about it later. So it, it doesn't, uh, you know, we kind of have that relationship that it's not, uh, you know, you we'll dang sure voice our opinion, either one of us on, and we don't hold back. Every now and then we, especially hunting, because like especially elk hunting, you get into some bulls and it gets really intense. Bulls are screaming. You're trying to move and get in position and and you get you're in kill mode, you know. And so you've got a hunting partner, and and if I feel like you need to come on or stay back or whatever needs to happen during that time, and it's really intense, I might turn around and yell at you. I'm not doing it because I'm mad at you. It's just like, hey, I need you here now. Like this has to happen right now. And we both understand that from because being in rodeo world and dealing with bucking bulls, uh, it's the same thing when you're dealing with a two thousand pound animal that'll eat you alive then stuff has to happen right now. And it's like, you know, if you go to moving cattle or or working bulls or anything of that sort, things are going to get said that nobody meant. And, you know, and, and if you if you worry... Cur- curse words were invented for working <laughs> cattle, I believe. And, and so if, if, if you wear your feelings on your sleeve, you're going to get your, your feelings hurt, you know, and, and we just don't let it bother us. And, uh, and, and it's... We have, we went for years and didn't pay any attention to it, and then it got brought up to us by a guy that went and hunted with us, and he's like, you know, if I did, if I didn't know you guys, I wouldn't think you guys liked each other. And uh, I kind of looked at JC and I was like, I guess we have been pretty lively this morning, huh? And uh, he's like, Yeah, I guess so. And it's like, Well, maybe we already toned it back since we got company, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean it. It does get intense, but like I said, we don't let it hurt our feelings. If it's his day up and he's trying to, he, you know, he's reading the situation different than I. We we do hunt very similar, but we have different ideas. Oh, and it's always when when you're on the front line, when you're under the gun, you're under the yeah. pressure, but also you're right up there. It's way easy if you're a hundred yards back to say, "Well, you yeah, should go left yeah. ten yards." Yeah, right? woulda, shoulda, coulda. You know, when you're right there, yeah. it's it's really hard to go. Oh, I should have moved. It, yeah, it's it, it's night and day difference. Just move a hundred yards different. Right. Oh yeah. So yeah. How's how's the emotional feeling changing gears just a little bit back to bull riding right before that gate opens, right when you slip over and put your legs around that bull? What's I've never done that. What's that experience like? Well, you know, it, it, to be honest with you, anybody that that'll set up and rides bulls professionally and says, "Oh, I'm not, I'm not scared," they're they're lying straight up. They are they're a mental case, one of the two, because you're always nervous, you're always scared. But after hundreds and hundreds of bulls that you get on, you kind of become numb to getting in the shoot it becomes a routine you're doing the same thing every time you're trying to duplicate you know the last time that you won and and so you're always trying to do the same thing over and over and your shoot procedure is the exact same and uh you know a lot of guys kind of fall into the zone there and really there's not a lot of emotion there uh, for guys to do it for a living 
uh, until after the ride. And then when the ride's over, you've got this unbelievable amount of adrenaline that has never hit your body before, and and you're just super excited. And if you just made a great rider, especially rode a bull that had a reputation or never been ridden before, uh, you feel like Godzilla. You're the baddest cat in town. You'd fight a lion at that very moment. Now, you give it 30 minutes and let that adrenaline run off, and then you're like, okay, now you're back to normal. But, yeah, it's... It's a feeling like none other. I don't know any other way to... If you're an adrenaline junkie, riding bulls is like drugs. You you can't wait for the next one. And even... I retired now. We're coming up on 11 years since I retired and got on my last bull. And even now, I mean, every now and then riding down the road or whatever, that feeling will hit you again. And you kind of... you still in the back of your mind, you kind of miss that feeling of uh, that danger and excitement, you know? So I, I raced dirt bikes. I never went professional, but I, I did do some, you know, entered some money races at yeah. least. And that I wouldn't say that that's comparable or even close, right? Because I'm 100% <laughs> in control of that throttle. Well, I want to shut her down. We shut her down. But the, the pre-race jitters would definitely, you know, if, if you oh, got yeah. riders saying that doesn't happen. I mean, once the race has started, you kind of get in that zone you're talking about, you know, the flag goes down or the gate goes down and as long as the bike starts, you're, that's my biggest fear. I'm, I'm there on the start line yeah. trying to start my bike. But. Well, and it, and it's neat. Uh, it's been neat for me now being retired, talking to guys that knew me back in the day and getting their pr- perspective of it, right? Because um, I kind of had my own routine when I was really riding good. And, and you know, I was behind the bucking chutes. I was really quiet. I kind of paced a little bit as I was coming up to my turn, you know, and I was kind of running my game plan through my head, I guess, and was kind of in my own little zone. I ran into a guy from Tennessee uh, here a while back and was talking to him, and he said he told me that he, when he first got around me, he was shocked because he thought that I was, there's no way that I could be a good bull rider just watching my routine because he thought I was scared to death. He said, he said, I would watch you, and he said, you were pacing, you were quiet, you weren't getting amped up, and he's like, then you would go win the bull riding, and I'm like, how the crap did this dude just do that? Like, he's... He looked like he was completely yeah, scared of his mind yeah, and didn't he want said, to be here. He said, you just looked scared to death, and which is weird because I didn't feel like I was scared to death. At the, you know what I mean? It was just, but other people's perspective, you know, uh, you know the way they, they see it. Uh, from your reactions he said it was always kind of a a mind game with him competing against me because i didn't get amped up i wasn't there like i'm the baddest dude there and hollering and showing off to other guys you're just getting in your zone getting ready i was the quiet guy sitting over in the corner and then all of a sudden you know you make a great bull ride and they're like whoa what how'd this happen like what's uh so i guess he kind of broke the mold you know i think jc was kind of the same way i don't you know i rodeo with jc for a lot of years and and i don't ever remember jc getting super excited beating his chest or hooping and hollering you know you know maybe at a little small bull riding somewhere where we were at a local fairgrounds or something and goofing off with some buddies after but but actually being serious competing jc was never flamboyant guy you know he he just got in there and got the job done you know both of us did very well in our own in our own way um you know my goal was always i was married for almost my entire career of riding bulls um and so which is unusual most guys yeah, go in yeah. single right <laughs> yeah and then somewhere along I, the way if they, don't, if they don't a lot of them end up single <laughs> uh but uh people people don't know it but temptation is real and it's out there but uh you know you got to be for a guy to stay married 
and ride bulls. He has to he has to be a strong individual uh, to go down that road. But you know, my goal was always you know to be able to take care of my wife. And I, you know, I had some bucking bulls at the time. You owned them, right? Yeah, I owned them. Uh, we leased some bulls out, you know. And so my goal was always just to make a living. That's, you know, I just wanted to be the guy that everybody knew was a good bull rider. And, and you know, I could ride anybody's bull at any time. You know, if I showed up, you know, there's a good chance I was winning the check. And, uh, you know, and that's pretty much what I did. You know, I had some really big highlights. Uh, you know, I came to Cheyenne Frontier Days when they had the PBR there. Uh, ended up winning fourth that year. And Cheyenne was 90 in the short round. I uh, wrote a bull called Uncle Charlie that was unridden that year up until that point. And, you know, that's one of the big highlights of my career. You know, I won a pretty big check at that one and uh, won a Super Bowl world title in 2010. Well, to come in ranked 90 and walk away ranked four is pretty yeah. darn good. Well, yeah, the, so they we had some really good highlights. J.C., you know, he got on the Bill Fort Tough series, won a lot of money, and J.C. did really well too. And uh, we were both very respectable bull riders you know, and well-known throughout the country. So, so you yeah. built that foundation, and obviously you've been shooting bows for yeah. ever. Yeah, I started, uh, I think I got my, well, when I was like seven or eight, Dad bought me the little cheap, uh, you know, bow with the cables on it, and uh, I got a spanking with one of my arrows for shooting a baby bird. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so you were hooked from that point yeah, on too, right? And, and so I'd always, you know, shot bows, and, uh, you know, I really didn't hunt until I was about 13 um, because my dad didn't hunt at all. And uh, I had some uncles that did. And then my uncle, uh, we bought a farm, a bigger farm. My uncle and my cousin got the hunting permit or rights to that so, farm. So tell us about that first bow hunt. What do you remember? Well, I made a lot of mistakes because uh, I started out uh, my, my first bow. I bought a, it was a bear, black bear. Old round wheel, you know, had the teardrop string. I had a, a PSE Nova, <laughs> ca aircraft cables, you know, round yep. wheel, and, and the teardrop uh, strings cooked together. Yeah, I, I didn't shot that. I didn't have any sights. What were sights? And and I, it was just a compound bow. What was a release? And uh, I think I bought my my arrows at uh, uh, Walmart, and then I had I think Game Getter XX seventy five yeah. Eastons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. twenty twenty one seventeens. Okay, and uh, yeah, I think I had those. I had I had a hundred twenty five grain broadhead, uh, and I can't remember who made it. It might have been Satellite made that broadhead. It was serrated. The blades were on it. We would shoot at like a pie plate on a hay bale because we didn't have a target man just practicing in the yard at 50 yards i mean i could i could lay all my arrows in there and i was like i'm ready i'm ready i had a doe walk out at like 25 yards and i was on the ground i was actually walking to my deer stand when i ran into her and she walks out and i draw back thinking this is just done i still don't know where that arrow went <laughs> we never found it it didn't go anywhere close to her uh <laughs> were, were you even aiming close to her at the time? At the time, I don't even know. Uh, and then I shot at like three other deer and just weren't even coming close to hitting them, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And finally, there's adrenaline difference yeah. between a hay bale, oh, a yeah. pie plate, a silver one, well, and it, something real, right? It's no different than riding bulls. I mean, in the practice pen, you couldn't buck me off. I don't care who you could run in Godzilla in the practice pen, I could ride him, but you put, you know, 1,200 people out there in the stands and. You know, music and all there's ten thousand up for grabs. Yeah, it's a little different. <laughs> it's a little different. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and so uh, ended up getting sights, and uh, I didn't know anything about bows, anything about tuning. And the local bow shops we had there close to my hometown, um, 
I mean, all I can say, the nicest way I can say it, they were horrible. Like, they, did, they didn't know anything about setting a bow up or tuning a bow. I started at a big box store. And yeah. I mean, it came from the bow manufacturers. Uh, that PSE Nova kit, you know, yeah. came with the quiver. And, the, and it didn't come with arrows, but some stuff, right? And well, they pretty much just threw it together and kicked me out the door and said, have fun. I'm trying to think. I think it was a True Glow, maybe, this first sight that I got. And it was the old flat plate and the pins, they had a little fiber optic piece on the end of them, but the pins, you had to screw them. There was a brass mine, nut on mine each Mine was side. a brass pin that we painted with fingernail polish. And, uh, I think I got a gold hand me down. Yeah, one, well, I mean, it had a little piece of like, it looked like fiber optic. I remember it getting a plastic. true one that had like a half inch round. Well, and this one didn't have the round. It had it had the square, just like a bolt you had bent square. Okay. But it did have the little fiber optic. But it had brass nuts. You had to screw the pins in and out, you know. My bow was so out of tune that, uh, well, I, at first I didn't know anything Cams about it. Cams can be timed? Yeah. Well, yeah. And a rest can be adjusted, really? I thought you just adjusted your, your point of aim to wherever the arrows were so, going, and that was bow tuning. <laughs> so I sighted in with field tips, not knowing that broadheads would shoot different, especially a 125-grain fixed blade out of an untuned bow, right? If you're not paper-tuned, those blades are going to plane all over the place. And And so I ended up going hunting that night. A doe came in, 20 yards, you know, chip shot, quartering away, just what you look for. I draw back, put my 20-yard pin on her, shooting fingers, and we didn't, what was a release, right? And and I shoot, and, uh, of course, this old bow I had, it sounded like a twenty two going off. And uh, I heard the arrow hit her, and she ran up into the, the cedars and fell. And my cousin uh, was hunting on the backside of the farm, and he told me, he said, don't get anything if you hit, if you shoot something. Just wait. Come out. Wait for me. We'll go in together and track it, you know, because I didn't know anything about tracking a wounded animal. I'd never killed anything. So, I, you know, I come out, and I'm waiting on the road for him when he comes out, and he's like, did you get something? I was, I was all excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, well, where'd you, you hit her? I said, what's well, the doe? I, she was quartering away 20 yards. I just hit her just perfect right behind the rib, just like, you, you know, you want. And I heard her fall. And so we get over there. We find blood where I shot her. We track her about 150 yards into the cedars, and we find where she bedded down, and uh, and she's gone. So we we're tra- we track her up over the ridge. We're following pin drops of blood crawling on our knees with a flashlight. And we finally find this doe, and she's not dead. I shot her in the hip. I did not hit her where I thought I hit her. We don't want her to suffer. I had left my bow back uh, at the truck, so I didn't have a bow. And we're like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Ended up, I had a little dull pocket knife. We, we <laughs> It's a horrible story, but we, we ended up grabbing her and, and slitting her throat just so she'd go ahead and bleed out. Uh, because she was sitting there wounded. I mean, it wasn't. Um, we would have been hours going back and getting the truck and getting a bow or, or getting a you know a gun to to finish her off. And so it was kind of a bad experience for me starting out. I went home and it bothered me really bad. And I'm like, okay, well, why did I not hit this deer where I was aiming? I'm proficient. Like I should have hit her where I was aiming. I was like, well, maybe my broadheads are hitting different. Let me try those. So I go out in the yard screw my broadhead on my broadhead is hitting almost eight inches to the right of where my field points are and i'm like crap well okay so i just i'm like well i have sighted with my broadheads in you know tune a bow really i move it over move that pin over get that broadhead sighted in so i back up to 30 yards and i only had three pins but i back up to 30 yards and I had I went ahead and moved that pin over to be even because I'd already got my distance from my field points. That one hit about 
four to six inches further to the right. So, and so, so now I had, your pins are like a so 30 my pins are all angle. on an angle, all the way back to forty yards. And uh, tuna and, bow, what's that? No, we'll just, we'll just move horrible. our pin around. And then, uh, and then through that journey, I ended up as a teenager because I was I was thirteen. 14 at that time my mom she was always into going to yard sales and stuff on on saturdays and she got up and wanted to go to yard sale and nobody wanted to go with her and so it ended up dad made me go with her and i was just ticked like I, there was a lot of things i could have done on saturday morning besides go yard selling with mom right and uh, <laughs> that's like punishment <laughs> and so i'm sitting in the van and just mad at the world and she comes over and she goes hey there's a bow over there and i was like really and she's like yeah I don't know. You might like it. You might want to go look at it. And so I walk over and I see this bow and I pick it up and it's way nicer than the bow I'm using. Right. And it was a, a pro line bow, which they don't make anymore either, but it actually had like real strings on it, not cables and a teardrop. You know, I drew it back and I was like, wow, this one stops when it gets to my to the corner of my mouth versus going all the way to my ear. Well, just today, you know, <laughs> di- little different gears, nippers. I pulled my old diamond nippers out of the horse trailer there, right? They're they're my emergency band-aids, yeah. right? And what brand are your nippers there? Yeah, mine are MFCs. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's got a little bit different. I picked yours up. I went, wow, those are way nicer <laughs> than mine. This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by Bow Spider. Bow Spider is the number one solution for helping you pack your bow in the field. doesn't matter whether you're a Western-style hunter. If you're hunting out of a tree stand, you definitely want to have a bow spider. You may want to use it in your truck to mount it to your headrest to help transport your bow more efficiently that way. You may want to throw it on a day pack, on your multi-day pack, on your bino harness. There's a whole bunch of different ways that you can do it. Definitely go check out bowspider.com to see what I'm talking about and make packing your bow a cinch. But just just by happenstance, this bow fit me. It was the right draw length, and uh, I went home and I started shooting this bow. And whoever owned the bow beforehand, whether I don't know where this guy got it from, archery shop or whatever, the bow had to be semi tuned. Uh, it came with a quiver full of arrows. When I lost and bent those arrows, I just bought. Okay, I want this exact same arrow this length because it shoots awesome out of this bow. And Somebody who knew what they were doing a yes, little bit had set this, set this up, but you up. just got mm-hmm. it handed to you instead yeah. of getting. To, to yeah. flounder around on your own and figure this out. So I ended up killing a just a small eight-point buck with it uh, and had a really good experience. Hit him through both front shoulders, you know, went through the scapula, and he ran 30 yards and fell over. And Well, to caveat this a little bit, you know, to back up and tell everybody out there listening, you, you do any kind of hunting long enough, no matter how much you practice, you know, things are going to go a little oh, sideways. Yeah. It's going to yeah. happen to you. And it's it's not that anybody's well, out there intentionally doing it. No, no. And, and, and you know, and when, uh, you know, even to this day, just by the grace of God, we don't wound that many animals or haven't. But when it happens, it never feels good. You're never happy about it. You always feel horrible about it. But I'm giving you my background on that just because I didn't have a great start. I didn't have anybody. I didn't have a lot of help. Um, and in the archery world, I didn't have anybody that knew anything about it. You had a couple uncles looking at you funny, like, here's a gun, man. Yeah. Put that bow away. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, so that bow, I shot it for a couple of years. And like I said, it fit me great. And it was the best experience I'd had was a bow. We shot every single day. We lived on a farm. 
And every single day, if I had 15 minutes, we were in the yard shooting bow. We had to, we, I think we were going to church. It was Sunday morning. I'd already got up. I was out in the yard shooting my bow. Dad comes out yelling at me, get in the truck. We got to go. We got to go. And so he had a little two-horse trailer parked there. So I just put my bow in the trailer, just set it over the back door, you know, and set it in the trailer, not thinking anything of it. Well, he had a dog in that trailer that I didn't know was in there, and it chewed my bow string in half. And so when I got home from church, I went to grab my bow, and I was ticked. We finally, there was a, a little local archery shop there in Frankfurt, and we, we took it up there to get a bow string on it. And they're like, you know, they don't even make these bows anymore. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, but so I, give I, me a string. I, I, I need my a bow. string for a bow. It's the best bow I've ever owned. And so they put a new string on it. Well, I came home and this bow shot horrible. I literally couldn't shoot it. I same bow, same bow, same new, arrows, same arrows, same new, shooter. Yep, new bow string. Everything was supposed to be put back exactly the way it was. I couldn't hold a group with it. It was very inconsistent, and I couldn't figure out what was going on with this bow. When I stuck broadheads on, they weren't even close to what the hat and i was like something is wrong so I, I go back to the the bow shop i couldn't drive i had to get somebody to take me up there and i go in and you're I'm, pestering somebody every day yeah, for two weeks yeah. can we go to the bow shop today and so they take me and i get up there and i walk in the bow shop and i'm like hey i don't know what's wrong but something's wrong with this bow i i can't get it to shoot you you know you put the new bow string on and it's it's shot horrible ever since i don't know if, what it is you know but can you know? Can you fix it? And so I hand my bow across the counter to him, and he literally turns my bow sideways, doesn't draw it back, doesn't scale it, doesn't check timing, doesn't shoot it through paper. He doesn't do anything other than roll it over. He looks at it and then hands it back to me and says, "Not the bow. It must be you." And I'm like, "What?" And uh, you didn't have the vernacular to say, "Well, wait a second here. Yeah. I brought this bow before the string, and it was shooting bullet holes, and now I can't hit the broadside well, of a barn." And I was a naive kid too. Yeah, I've been there. And so, so then he goes, "Okay, um, you know, maybe maybe this bow's just old. Maybe you need to buy a new bow." And so he talks me into buying a new bow, and uh, uh, I ended up buying a new bow. I think it was a Martin Prowler or something. You know, a kit, whole kit set up. And went home, and I just never shot that bow that well. And so I kind of went for about two years that I didn't really bow hunt that much. I rifle hunted, but I bow hunted just a little bit. But I just wasn't into it because I, I didn't shoot my bow well. Now, now, it, now, let's just back up a little bit. If that dealer had taken the time to check timing, oh, paper yeah. tune your bow, but, draw board your bow, and, and take you to the range and, and do a few shots and make sure you were yeah. had some you know but basic skills... In, in his defense, that was would have been in the 90s. I don't think he knew how. I, I truly don't think he knew how. I, I, there's a lot of shops even now that don't know. And, uh, you know, that's one thing that I wish the bow companies, because I this is jumping further in my story, but I had an archery shop that I actually ran in Kentucky for almost seven years. And the one thing, and it was by accident that that began, but uh, the biggest thing I found was the inconsistencies in archery shops, and it was because they didn't have the information. It's not that they wouldn't have done it. They didn't know. And and you can't do something that you don't know how to do. So, you know, I wish that bow companies in general would be, you know, they have sales reps. I wish these sales reps, before the new bows were coming out, would come out and walk through the bow, the setup and tuning of this new bow with a dealer. Uh, so the dealer has that knowledge. They now have certification courses, and you, your yeah. dealer can put certifications up on the wall, you know, level yeah. one, level two Bowtechs, and 
you know, I'm I'm to the point now where I'm getting third axis level sites. Yeah. They're doing voodoo stuff, right? Because we're getting single sliders and we're we're putting all this math to get my sight tape on there, right? It's it's not something you do on a whim. No, in the uh, in the backyard with with a with a jam nut on a brass pin like we used to. Do. I just had a guy. We we get guys all the time. We meet guys, JC and I, and um, from having my archery shop in this background. But the the bow that that ended up what ended up happening is that, like I said, I went a couple years. I ended up buying, um, I think it's a Hoyt Viper Tech is what I ended up with. And I got that bow, and I went down a rabbit hole. I'm going to tune it. And part of that, because I was where I started riding, I had to start riding wolves by that point. And I was starting to travel. I was would go places, and I would meet people, and we would start talking and get to talking about hunting and bow hunting. And, and they'd talk about shooting, and I'm like, wait, wait a minute. You're shooting 60, 70 yards? What? I don't even think my bow will shoot that far. Like, what's... And then they're like, well, they start talking about tuning. I'm like, tuning? Like, I ain't never heard anybody talk about this stuff. You're, you're all ears. Your ears perked up, and you're and, listening now. And so I, I had a couple of traveling partners that uh, they had a rough time because for about four years, I drug them in every archery shop that we passed from the East Coast to the West Coast. I mean, if I, we were going down the road and I saw a sign and we had 30 minutes, we were stopping. And I'd went in and, you know, I'd been a lot of guys' ears. I even got on Archery Talk, which is a dumpster fire. I'm sorry, but uh, you sorry, can Sorry, <laughs> Archery Talk, but my wife has banned me from getting on. Yeah, uh, you know, if you want to get in a fight, one, I remember one day I argued with a guy on Archery Talk about tuning a bow. I was trying to help another guy, and this guy jumped on telling me that I was didn't know what I was talking about. And uh, finally... I was like, who is this dude? Like, after about two hours of arguing with this dude, I click on his profile. He's 14. And I'm like, <laughs> you need to just shut up and get off your mom's computer. You remind me of Noob Master and <laughs> Thor. He's back again, Thor. So, that Noob Master. So anyway, uh, I went down that rabbit hole of, of tuning. And uh, so once I started learning how to tune a bow and set a bow up, check cam timing, I, I bought a little... Uh, pocket press you know you could buy those so i started working on both i had two younger brothers that had started hunting and getting into bow hunting and i tuned their bows and set them up and and then they go shoot with their buddies and their buddies is like well how, how can you you don't have to sight in with your broadheads and they're like no my bow's tuned well how do you do that i don't know my brother does it and then they so they would call me hey would you tune my bow i ended up doing one for my taxidermist um, because he had won a bow at like a, I don't know, it was like a Wild Turkey Federation or something dinner he went to, and he won a bow. You just went down this rabbit hole because necessity yeah, dictated had, you had to learn. Yeah, this. I had to learn how to tune if I was going to, you know, if I was going to shoot and uh, be into archery. And so anyway, I tuned this bow uh, and set it up for my taxidermist because he he had already taken the bow to two different archery shops, and they didn't want to work on the bow because he won the bow. And they he didn't purchase it from them, and so all they could charge him for was labor because the bow came with it was it the bow came as a package, but it wasn't put together like it came with a sight and rest and everything, but it wasn't it wasn't put together ready to shoot. It had to be set up, and uh, nobody wanted to do it because they weren't making any money off from it. Well, I don't want to throw any bow manufacturers under the bus, right? They they're trying to put a good product out yeah. there, but. There's a there's a very big quality difference of going into a big box store, buying brand X name brand, you know, top of the line bow, and buying that exact same one at a pro shop. Yeah, right. Because a pro shop's going to go through and do some things that yep. you know you get the big box. They're literally going to open it, 
pull the plastic packaging off, hang it on the shelf. You're going to come in. They're going to screw a rest oh, yeah. and a side on and tie your get their laser on. level out. You know, <laughs> as soon as the laser level comes out, I'm like, uh-uh. Yeah, the, the biggest one I, I look at is, you know, Loctite on most everything on a bow needs yeah. Loctite. It just, just yeah, so you know. and well, and here's a here's another little little tip secret that uh, a lot of guys may or may not know. If you don't have access to Loctite while you're setting your bow up, or your bow's already been set up and you're getting ready to go on a hunt, bow string wax, the cheap stuff, the hard stuff that that sucks putting on your string, that's super hard. Rub that on the threads. And then screw it in, and it's almost like Loctite. When you go to try to take it off, it's gonna bend your wrench, and it'll pop, it'll make a loud pop sound when it breaks the threads loose, and then it'll screw out fine. But that works good as as a replacement for Loctite if you're in a pinch. You don't want your quiver coming loose. You don't want no. your rest coming loose. <laughs> no, hey, come on, because it will. You know, it, Murphy's law: if it can and will happen, it will, especially when you're hunting. But but anyway, so I set that bow up for that taxidermist. He he tried setting it up himself. And he he was shooting the bow, and you could see it in midair. His arrow would kick Kicking. sideways before it would hit. And I I told him I could fix it, and he's like, "No way." And I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Well, you fix it and bring it back tomorrow." So I did. I took it home, reset it up, tuned it, took it back. I told him I said I might have to make a couple adjustments with you shooting it because it's not me. And we went out in the yard, and I did. And he shot, and those arrows looked like laser beams going to the target. And he was like, "Holy cow! Will you do this for other people?" And I was like, yeah, I'll do it for buddies and stuff. And he's like, well, I might give your number out. Well, that summer, I did like 46 bows in my wife's laundry room was where I always worked on my bow. And every day, because I would get home before she did from work, she would come in. She would walk in the laundry room and go, who's sitting on my couch? And I'm like, "Uh, I don't know. It's so-and-so. He called me up when we do this bow. And so everybody would, and so people started bringing me their bows, and they would be like, "Well, this rest is worn out. What rest do I need?" And I'd suggest a rest or sight or whatever that they needed to replace. And they're like, "Well, why don't you just, you know, order it, put order it, on, it, put and it, it on. on? That way, we don't have it. to go get it, whatever." And so I was running to archery shops, ordering stuff online for them, and I wasn't making any money off from it. And and everybody was like, "Well, you just need to open a shop." So I literally opened a shop with fifteen hundred bucks worth of stuff, which you can imagine what fifteen hundred dollars worth of archery stuff on a wall looks like. Uh, hey, not, not much. Yeah, it looks like Most a bare those room. Shops have a quarter or a half million yeah. dollars worth of inventory. And hanging uh, there. you know, when I closed it. And when I closed it, we probably had $150,000, $200,000 worth of product on the wall at that point in time. But it, you know, it had taken a few years for me to build that up. Um, and I had gotten in debt a little bit too. I ain't going to lie about that. Well, that wasn't all just success. But because uh, uh, it's very easy to go, when, especially you start bringing bow companies into your shop, you know, they're like, yo, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll set you up. You're in a good area. Yeah. You got to buy 46, you know, 32. Oh, we'll program them out. Yeah. Yeah. We'll program them out. And, uh, you know, you'll take 10 at a time, and it's like, well, what if I don't sell them? Well, they're yours. <laughs> and it's like, Guess that's Christmas, and, Thanksgiving. Yeah, and so. <laughs> birthday sale. So time. you end up, uh, and, I, and I had uh, I had one, I won't name them because I won't shame any bow companies, but I had one bow company that did me pretty wrong uh, in the course of having a shop. And, but, yeah, that's what got me to run that shop and running down the rabbit hole of tuning. Anybody out there that's listening to this, if you have a good bow, bow shop, that takes the time to tune your bow properly and spends the time. If you have a problem and they go, you you go back in there and they take the time to fix it. Spend your money there. So I drive five hours from here to 
to a bow shop. Why? Because the bow shop I go to, uh, we draw board, we paper tune, yep. we third axis. We have a he's got a gimbal, right? So we yeah. can put my bow in the gimbal and with the arrows it, yeah. in the quiver, use the back bar, get a hundred percent balanced. When I walk out of there with my sight tape, I mean, do you know what kind of adjustments I make to my bow? I might have to bump that sight. And and that's up or down a quarter inch at 20 yards to get it on. And that's worth a lot. And people don't. And so I'm saying this from having a bow shop. If if that bow shop is is in your area and they're, they're treating you well, don't. If you need a new bow site, don't go buy it. I, I realize everybody has a budget. Don't get on Amazon don't and get order on Amazon. and then walk back in there and say, will you put, put this, this on? on. Because um, Am- whoever sold that on Amazon got the markup, made the money for it. You're yep. walking into the bow shop and asking him to do it for free. And some of these reputable guys, they will well, do it. They'll do it just to get the sale next time. Just just from where I'm from in Kentucky, bow shops can't make it. They can't keep their doors open. And my bow shop, um, we actually lived in a barn. We turned it a barn into a house, and uh, it had a huge hayloft with – uh, the old school tongue and groove flooring and everything. We we actually put a deck off of that hayloft and made a separate entrance and turned the hayloft into an archery shop. So I wasn't paying rent. I didn't have extra light bill other than the you know the extra that was on from having the archery shop open or whatever. And so didn't I didn't have second utility. Didn't yeah. have second rent. And, and, and so that was the only reason my bow shop survived was because of that because of the big box stores we where i i grew up in wadi kentucky it is on interstate 64 directly in between louisville and lexington 30 minutes to louisville you have bass or well gander mountain bass pro in louisville you have uh cabela's uh clarksville indiana which is right across the river it's another 15 minute drive after you get there there's a huge Bass Pro Shops. Lexington has Sportsman's Warehouse. They also have a Cabela's. Uh, and everybody runs there to buy their stuff. You know, people, and, and people don't and make typically sense. typically the stuff at Cabela's is, you know, a couple percent cheaper. The same the same True Glow site that's hanging on your dealer's shelf and is hanging in, in Cabela's is usually a couple bucks cheaper in Cabela's. If everybody yeah. wants to save a dollar, well, and then you they, can. They run sales and stuff when that dealer can't because... You know, he's not on – he doesn't have the buying power that Cabela's has. Oh, yeah. No and, and and that's what the customer doesn't realize is Cabela's isn't paying the same amount for that site that the dealer did. The dealer's probably paying, depending on how expensive of a site that is, he's paying probably 10 to 20% more for that product. To have it on the shelf ready for you to buy for, yeah. and put on and, your and, bow in his shop. And selling it for the same price. And so when Cabela's has a 30% off sale – he can't, or he's going to lose money. And and so, like, here's one story in particular that I've told, and still this day it makes me scratch my head because this guy was a businessman, and I won't drop his name because he might listen to this podcast. Who knows? But he called me up and wanted to know. He asked me how much a whisker biscuit was. and Which, so, is, which is one of the cheaper sites. Yeah. Uh, arrest on yeah. the market. And he asked me how much it was. And I think the one I had, I only had one because I didn't sell a ton of whisker biscuits, uh, you know, because, you know, dropaways have pretty much taken over, it seems like. And some people do like the whisker biscuit, and it's a great entry level. It's it's a great rest. It works perfect. It's easy to tune, and it's, you know, fixable. The, the only difference is, I'd say, just people that don't know, yeah. is a whisker biscuit is going to have fletching interference yeah. every shot, slightly and, different. And it will wear bigger. out. Yep. It will wear out over time. People don't realize that either. The drop away has no fletching yeah. interference at all. And uh, so 
so anyway, I, I, I think it was thirty nine ninety nine or something, the one I had. Sounds about right. And uh, he's like, okay, well. Like, Cabela's is having a thirty four ninety five sale. Yeah, it, there was like two hours in between, and it's getting close, you know, closer. This was on a Saturday, you know, and, and I was only open for half a day that day anyway. So it's getting closer to time for me to close, and he calls me up, and he said, hey, I'm on the way uh, to your shop. I need you to put a rest on a tunic for me. I said, okay. So he, he walks in with his Cabela's bag uh, and pulls out this uh, whisker biscuit. And he goes, uh, what do you want? What are you going to charge me to put this on and paper to my bow? I said, 25 bucks. He said, cool. Hands me the rest. So I'm putting it on. I guess his conscience starts, you know, getting to him while, he, while I'm putting it on. And uh, he said, uh, he said, well, he said, I would have bought that rest from you, but... Cabela's had a had a sale and theirs were ten was ten dollars cheaper and uh, so I I bought it from them because I'm on a budget. Yeah, but how much gas did he spend driving uh, to go to over so to Louisville? Or I'm, I'm getting to that part. So I go, I look at him and I go, I said, uh, you didn't save any money. He said, what do you mean I didn't save any money? I said, well, you drove thirty five minutes each way to buy that rest, and so you spent time and fuel. On that rest. But I said, we'll throw that out of the equation. I, I If you buy a rest from me, I pay per tune and put it on for, for free. free. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did, did, his, did his head kind of spin around oh, at that man. point? You, you, could, you should have seen, it, seen the look on his face. Like he was bewildered. Like, holy cow. And well, uh, that, that's sales and service with the product, right? Yeah. That, as a dealer, you're like, okay, you made a little margin on selling him the rest that he now gave to Cabela's. So now it, it makes sense. You want me to work on, you want me to trim your horse's feet? You want me to, yeah. you know, work on, you want me to change your tire on your car and you went somewhere else and bought the tires? Yeah. Great. I'm going to charge you a per hour rate to do it. Well, you know, and then I go back to horseshoeing too. I've had guys, you know, how much, how much you charge me to put four shoes on this horse? A uh, hundred bucks. Well, what if I furnish the shoes? 125 and they're like <laughs> what what and i was like well because you're gonna go to tractor supply and buy the crappiest shoes out there i special order my shoes in and they're a lot less work on my end to make them fit versus what i'm gonna have to deal with that you're gonna go down here and buy and so it's gonna take <laughs> wait, wait a second so i'm gonna <laughs> I, I, if i hire you you're gonna supply the shoes for a hundred dollars but if i supply the shoes you can charge me 125 well, that's not fair. How do I save money? <laughs> you don't. I know. You want me to put shoes on? It's a hundred dollars. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it, it's funny how people get stuff in their head on that, like they're going to save a dollar here, or there. In the long run, they're not. <laughs> but, but back to your guy with his with his whisker biscuit. I mean, he drove a half hour each way. Yeah. Well, when we throw that out the window, <laughs> I would have done this for free if you just showed up here and bought it. So you could have saved the gas and yeah, twenty five bucks. And uh, he was like. Are you serious? And I said, Yeah. I said, I said, Cabela's wouldn't put this on for you. He said, Well, they would, but there was an eighteen-year-old kid working there, and uh, I asked him about putting it on a tune it. And he's like, Well, I can put it on, but I don't know how to tune it. And so, and and so he he was if he couldn't tune it himself, you know, it was worthless uh, for him to let them put it on. So, you know, it was a lesson learned on his part. And the lesson is, I mean, if you find a pro shop that's reputable, yeah, spend your money those there, guys. You know, yeah, it it might cost you if you spend a lot of money on archery equipment. It might cost you an extra hundred bucks a year. But here's the thing: if you do that, and all your buddies do that, then that guy's going to stay in business. 
but what's that guy do for the local archery club? What's that guy do yeah. for the local archeries in the school and, and for the youth? And when that kid comes in that has that broken 30-year-old Martin yeah. Phantom now that no parts exist, he might have a box of parts in the back or at least call another dealer and go, hey, I've got a kid yep. here that's got a garage sale bow that obviously can't afford me to fix his bow, can't afford the $25. And I've had this experience. Yeah, I walked in and the bow dealer didn't buy the bow from him. Right, he wasn't making any money because he wouldn't charge me. Yep. But he fixed my bow, tuned it, gave me a lesson, and sent me out the door for free. At fourteen, I didn't realize that you know I just took yeah. an you hour don't of this the value time. in it. Yeah, I went back at nineteen and bought a well, brand new bow from that guy. Like, you know, we could uh, we could go back to the hundreds of guys that right now that are in Kentucky where I moved away from two years ago, and still this day, I'm getting phone calls, text messages. And messages on social media. Where can I go? I don't know what to do. I've got this bow. I'm having an issue. It's, you know, my arrows aren't flying right. I can't figure it out. You're not here anymore. Where do I go? And it's like. But across the nation, we're having the small, the smaller archery shops are just, they're we're losing them. Th- yeah, they're folding up. And those are the people that are going to go out of their way uh, to make sure that you have the best equipment and the equipment that you have is performing the best that it possibly can because their reputation's at stake. Cabela's. Vast Pro Shops, I'm not hating on, they're, they're on those companies. They're about inventory, and they have a great business model. There's a reason they have, they, yeah, they are successful. But if if they go in and they don't tune your bow or set it up properly for you, then you can get mad at them. You can bash them on social media. They have enough backing and enough people that are going to come there and buy anyway. It's not going to hurt their business one bit. And if you were to look at their books, archery is not. No, that's not, not where they're making maker. making their biggest amount. That, of money. That's a convenience for their and, customers. Uh, that's like having you know, a bathroom. Uh, you know, just and here's one last Cabela story because they were just close to me, and I had my archery shop. Uh, well, Cabela's Bass Pro Sportsman's Warehouse, all the same thing. No. Yeah, yeah, he, they own it all. It's a monopoly. But uh, they, I had a guy call me, and I knew him really well. And he called me, and he wanted to buy a bow. And uh, he wanted a cheaper, uh, just a package bow. That wasn't my specialty because I couldn't, on those package deals, as a small archery shop, I couldn't, couldn't compete you with. You can call your rep and order the same package. Yeah. But if you're not, you don't have the buying power. If you're not going to order 3,000 well, package bows, you're only going to order three or one, he's going to give I, you a different price. That wasn't what sold in my shop. You know, my shop sold more higher-end archery equipment. The The cheaper stuff didn't sell that much for me and, unless somebody came in that just was on a budget that needed something cheap. And, and that's why you had one whisker yeah. biscuit on the shelf. It's like, hey, if you need one, here is one. And, uh, you know, I could I could get those package deals, but I just didn't keep them. And so I could, uh, you know, one of the companies, which uh, it used to be Papes, but no longer. It's not Papes anymore. Uh, they got bought out, but... They were in Louisville, but they're a dealer-only deal. I could have one of those in three days. So if you call me up, you wanted a cheaper package I didn't have, I could call them, say, hey, this is what I need. And they ship it out that day, one day in shipping, the third day I have it. And uh, and so, dude, I was like, dude, I, I, I can get what you want. I just don't have it. I can have it in three days. Okay, let me think about it. So, again, it's almost closing time. I get a phone call. Hey, I need some arrows. Okay. It's like, I'm guessing you bought a bow. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just had the money. It was burning a hole in my pocket. I had to go. I went up to Cabela's and I bought this bow. And 
you know, a guy set it up for me and everything, but uh, I didn't like the arrows they had. I wanted to come buy arrows from you. I was like, okay, cool. And, and, uh, and arrows are not a big profit margin. Either. No. And, and he goes, he goes, I know you close in an hour, but. Um, I want to shoot this bow tonight. Yeah. Can, can you just go ahead and cut them for me and I'll just, I'll be there before you close and just pay you for them. And I was like, do you even know how long they need to be? He's like, yeah, yeah, 29 inches. I said, how do you know they're 29 inches? Because that's my draw length. I said, Tommy, you're four six. You're not 29 inches. And uh, I'd known this guy my entire life. And uh, we used to pick about pick at him about being a midget. He really wasn't. He was just a really short guy. But uh, I said, no. And he's like, yeah, I drew it back. The guy at Cabela said it fit me just right. I said, um, that's not right, Tommy. This is ear back behind his head. And uh, so we ended up setting his draw length at 26, 26 inches. How did I guess? <laughs> and, uh, and you know, it, he's like, well, why wouldn't that guy have seen that? I said, because he doesn't know. He was probably an 18-year-old kid. He said, yeah, he's pretty they young. watch a 15-minute film. Yeah, it's, it's like a 30, 45-minute film on setting up a bowl, and, and they put him out there on the floor because they can pay that dude – you know, 10 to 12 bucks an hour, and he thinks he's doing something versus you take a guy that has the knowledge, they're going to have to pay him 20 to 25 bucks an hour to get him to do the same job. So they can hire two guys for the price of one, and and it never, you know, like I said, it's in and out. Archery's not their specialty, and it's just a portion of the money that they make, and so they get people in and out of there. So, again, I mean, that's just me kind of going on a rant about supporting your local archery shop uh I, I think that's something we're losing these archery shops like you said and i think more people need to spend more time and money at the small mom and pop shops and yeah you might have to pay five bucks more for a rest you may have to pay five bucks more for a site but when you're in that bind when you're leaving on your hunt and you dry fired your bow and you call that archery shop up that you're spending all your money in and say you know just throwing a name out there. Hey, Joe, uh, I just drive fired my bow. I got to leave tomorrow. You know, do you have a string? I know you're going to close in 30 minutes. Can you? More than likely, that guy's going to say, you bring your bow, I'll get it fixed. This episode of Radcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures. I don't know about you, but it's that time of year for me to start wanting to get the boat out and go catch some fish. And there's no better way to do it than to go to pklure.com and pick up some of their fantastic baits. I know this spring and into the summer, I'm going to be using the new PK rattle bait. It comes in a couple of different sizes, so definitely check that out. I'll also be using the PK wobbler, the PK Dakota disc, and I'll be trolling those along to catch those nice walleyes for our summer fish fries. You might also want to look at the PK spinajig, PK flutterfish, and the PK spoon to add to your arsenal. So don't forget to go check out pklure.com. Again, go to pklure.com to pick up fishing equipment for this upcoming season. See you on the water. So Lance with Top of Utah Archery, he's in Logan, Utah. I've been using him for you know, since I moved back down from yeah. Alaska several years ago just because out here in Pavilion, Wyoming, it's either do it myself or have somebody do it. And I've seen Lance more than once, you know, m- August sometime, guy calls up and says, oh, this cam, this, that, whatever, yeah. you know. And I've seen him, you know, and maybe it's just, hey, I want to change draw length and I need the module, right? 
I've seen him take his bow, take the module off his bow, say, yeah, I got it right here in my hand, come pick it up, yeah. and just take it, go hunt, have fun, we'll deal with it later, right? Yeah. And so you're not going to get that treatment at Cabela's. No. You're not going to get that treatment at Sportsman's uh-uh. Warehouse. You, you know, and that's part of the what the industry needs to move towards is, you know, the old snapper model. Yeah. When I sold lawnmowers a different lifetime ago, <laughs> you used to only be able to get a snapper lawnmower from a dealer who serviced the product, right? Why? Because that service is worth something. Now, we as the consumers need to start demanding yeah. that we get that level of service back. And if everybody would go back to their small mom and pop dealers, yes, obviously you're going to pay it $2 more for that dozen arrows. Yeah. You're going to pay, you know... You know, instead of getting the the premium flagship bow at a at a ten percent off sometime in the year, you're going to pay full price for that flagship bow. But wh- how do you put a price on Friday night, ten minutes yeah. before closing? Hey, I'm leaving tomorrow Saturday, and my D loop just blew out of my bow, right? Or my peeps rolling, or whatever it might be. I'm leaving to go on a hunt, and the guy goes, "Well, I normally close at six. I'll close the door, but I'll wait around for you for fifteen minutes, right? You can yeah. pull up there." Everybody else is gone. Most of the lights are off. He'll still have the door unlocked. You walk in and he'll quick. Oh, yeah. Put your bow Whoa. on the press and fix it and send you out the door. You know, I, I, and as a small archery dealer, you know the guys that are spending the money in your shop. You know you know them personally. You know them by name because they're spending time in there and they're spending money with you. And my wife will tell you because, trust me, uh, it's ruined a lot of Sunday afternoons. Me get a phone call. You know, it's hunting season. Somebody dry fired their bow. They dropped it out of a stand. You know, they the wife slammed the door of the truck on on their arrows. The dog bit the string in. Yeah, half. something. Something and, happened. And, They're and, in a rush. It's now an emergency. It's not your fault as the dealer. No, but, but you I can opened save up the day. On I've opened up on because I was always open on Saturdays from like nine to one, and I've opened up on Saturday afternoon, even on Sunday afternoon. Open up cut a dozen arrows for a guy or something because i knew that's a guy that he spends his money in my shop he doesn't go to cabela's if he you know it doesn't matter what he needs he's gonna come to me and spend that money and and like i said as a small archer dude you know those guys and you know the guys that are that are spending money with you and you're gonna take care of them and you're gonna support the local boys and girls club and the local soccer team and the and the local archery clubs oh yeah we i mean me and my wife we did the archery in schools program which she's a school teacher and we did the archery in schools program you know we didn't make a dime off that um but we did it um you know we but you're promoting a sport oh yeah right yeah we we introduced a bunch of young kids to archery that uh probably would have never picked up a bow any other way uh, and, and, you know, now they have an experience. I mean, we took a, a group of kids that had never shot a bow within uh, about two and a half years. We ended up qualifying for nationals and taking those kids to nationals. And uh, This episode of Radcast Outdoors is also brought to you by High Mountain Seasonings. High Mountain Seasonings is the number one provider of seasonings, cures, and other meat processing equipment for your catch or for your big game animal that you get in the field this fall. Definitely go to highmountainjerky.com or h-i-m-t-n-jerky.com to see all their different options that they have. They have a number of different shakers if you want to try just some of their burger seasonings, fish seasonings, or anything like that for your next meal. You can also check out their cure kits if you're going to make bacon or ham. And then, of course, what they're most famous for is their jerky seasoning kits. 
So definitely go check them out again at himtnjerky.com. And if you're out there listening, if you've never gone out and shot a bow, I mean, if you've listened to any of these other podcasts, you know that that's my thing. If I'm not fly fishing, (laughs) if I'm not riding my horses, I'm shooting a bow. That's just it. And it's just, you know, you know, me, I, I have that personality too. Like I can't do anything halfway, you know, I have to go all in, uh, you know, I got into competition archery for a few years there, right before I opened my my bow shop up, and I mean, we were guns ablazing. I mean, I was I was going to tournaments, you know, four nights a week, and you know, just running anywhere I could to go shoot. You know, it, it's I just have that that personality that if I do something, I have to do it all the way. And uh, you know, I've done that with hunting, and you know, JC and I've talked about that a bunch. It's just. Uh, we're all in when it comes to whatever we're doing. And, uh, you know, I always think my daddy said, if you're going to do anything, you might as well do it right. So that's, that's what I've always tried to do with anything that I was doing. Um, and so now, you know, now even, even so archery is still a big, big part of my life with that's bow hunting, you know, we're filming and we just got on board with PSE. Uh, one of the bows came in, we're going to be putting out a series where I set up and tune that bow from start to finish uh, you know, and that's just to give the guy that maybe he doesn't have an archery shop in his area, you know, and he's thinking about, well, I need to learn how to do it myself. Uh, we're going to try to give him a video that he can go watch and, uh, we're going to break it up in segments so he can go back. Okay. I'm going to tie this D loop. I want to just be able to click on the one that's to tie the D loop and I can watch it over and over if I need to, or go back and pause or whatever. And one thing to caveat, just, just so people know, you know, before you run out and grab a ratchet strap and, <laughs> and crank your bow closed to pull your string on and off, you know, you're going to, you're going to void your warranty, right? You, yeah. You need to have somebody that either yeah. knows what they're doing or you need to go down the rabbit hole. You need to get a professional press. Yeah. A press and, 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 and look up your bow. Uh, because there's certain bows that you can't press in certain presses. Uh, now, when I had an archery shop, I ran a press, and it was called an X-Press Pro. Uh, and John Dudley used that press forever, with, and he still does use one of those presses. But they don't make that press anymore. And it it's totally adjustable. It takes way longer to get it set up for your bow. But it's totally adjustable in every Is that the way. one with the four big wheels? Yeah, it's got four big wheels. Yep. It, you know, kind of makes an X. You can adjust it in and out. And it will do any bow on the planet still to this day. But everybody's going to the Lancaster Easy Press, uh, which With is the su- fingertips. Yeah, it's super fast. It's super easy to use. Except certain bows are not designed to go in that press. Certain PSEs, uh, even some of the Hoyts, the Hoyt Defiant series, you cannot press in that Easy Press without a special set of arms. And it's a, and like the, the Defiant. It takes a special set of arms that actually go over the top of the limbs and come down and hit the limbs about midway. It depends on how they're they're attaching yeah. the cams to the limb tips, and if you if you press that, and you're going to crack limb. that, and you're going to well, you're going to be blowing your like, bow up. Uh, and uh, I'm going to tell on myself here, but like the defiance, because I, I still own a defiant, and I will periodically throw it in that easy press just because my X press is out in the building behind the house, and if it's if there's two foot of snow on. You know, I'm not I, going out. I don't want to go out there. And why do you have the easy you know, press? Because it works. It's small. Yeah. It takes up and, no space. And so I'll throw it in there. But the warning is it will jump out of it. That's because of the it's the uh, angle of the limbs. And it'll jump out of that press. And and so, you know, I advise anybody not to do Even if you know what you're doing, don't 
press that bow in that easy press without the special limb. So uh, that's cool that you guys are going to put that yeah. out. And I think uh, it's it's knowledge that, you know, it's only going to make us better archers. Yeah. Right? Well, and so in some of the small stuff, like paper tuning, trying to peep in, trying to de-loop on, you know, you can break a de-loop in the field. So you need to be able to do some stuff. If you're totally dumb to archery as far as your setup and you're traveling, especially you're, you know, I came from the east to the west, you know, now I live here, but, you know, I was traveling 20, 22 hours every year to go go elk hunting. If I didn't know how to work on my bow, if something happened, I could have been in a bad way. D-loop break. Now, see, I'm in a, in a little different zone as far as <laughs> I have – you know, Lance set my bow up every year, and one piece of advice I'd give everybody that's going to a pro shop, and that's where you should start before yeah. you even go down this rabbit hole of doing it yourself. And if you're not close to a shop, yeah, yeah, check your video out, start learning. There's a whole bunch of information out there, but go in April, go in May, say, yeah. "Hey, I need a new string." Don't hey, I need <laughs> don't go August fifteenth and say I'm leaving. Guy. Don't well, be that guy. So this is this is a funny story that, and it never failed in seven years. I have an archery shop, but. uh Everybody waits to the last minute. Nobody, you know, you you can guarantee across the United States most seasons open in September. That's September first yeah. or September fifteenth, yep. and everybody's rolling in the door August fifteenth. So, you can you can bet that your guys that are a little more serious, you're going to get busy in July. August, you can't breathe. And I always like the 29th of August, the 28th of August. I was leaving. I was coming out west to hunt. So the bow shop has a sign, August 28th, August 29th, we're closed. We're we're closed until September 20th when I come back. Which a lot of those guys are whitetail hunters, so they're not. Yeah, a lot of guys are whitetail hunters. And, and, you know, that being said, if if you're a true bow hunter, you should have your craft ready before September 1st. Well, and that's back to Uh, what I was saying is for me, because I... I, yes, I know enough to be dangerous, but I like to put all the uh, responsibility on my guy that changed <laughs> my bow, right? So when I go out and miss that elk because You my, got somebody to blame it on. Well, yes, no, I'm, I'm well, being a little bit facetious. Yeah. But seri- in all seriousness, you know, come May 1st, I don't want to be dealing with... I, I want to be shooting the arrow, the yeah. sight, the rest, the string that I'm going to hunt with. Right, but I don't want to be here. Here's the one problem, and why I want to put a string on every spring is I want to have it relatively shot in, yep. but not wore out for season. Oh yeah, and so that way, you know, I'll well, wear that string out by November, December. Just, shooting. just a piece of advice for guys, because you know, I know there's probably a lot of guys that are either getting into archery or, or don't know a ton about archery that may be listening to this podcast. And the guys that do, you already know this, but uh, with a bow string, when you put a new one on, it takes. Depending on the material, three hundred. Yeah, I usually tell people because I do build custom bowstrings still myself. I don't do it on a high on a big scale, uh, but I tell everybody put two hundred to two hundred fifty shots on that string, and bef- and then retune that bow to make sure that you had any stretching. And sometimes even the best strings out there, you don't actually have stretching, but the serving wears into the cam. the cam groove and so it'll settle in you'll get it a little off time and usually it's one or two twists boom you're right back on but and depending on your bow's specific setup you may get some cam lean out of that yeah you may get a lot of things so get that done early in the year and shoot it through the summertime get that string shot in if you're going to go with a new sight, yeah. going to go with a new rest, going to go with a new shaft yep. weight or spine, well, get that done and make and, sure it's working. And if you wait, 
even if you think, okay, I'm getting ahead of it, the game, I'm going to roll in mid-July, right? That archery shop is already starting to get backed up. You're going to be two, three weeks. That's why I said April. May. Yeah, you're going to be two, three weeks. If you if you get it done now, you're two, three days a lot of times, you know, if they don't have to order whatever I roll into my bow shop and I might be the only guy in there. Yeah. If you wait till June, it's starting to fill up. July, it's yep. pretty well, you know, you've got two-week wait. If you wait till August, you may not get it done. No, no. You... And there, there's 50 people in the shop. And for me, I, I'm a bow hunter. I don't like people. I'm sorry. I mean, I know I have a company and a <laughs> podcast, but I'm a fly uh, fisherman, a trapper, and a bow bow hunter. I want to not see people. When when I had my shop, I I totally wish this one day that I had had security cameras because I don't have I didn't have security cameras because it was at my house, you know. But just to see the looks on these dudes' face, because I left on the twenty eighth of August to drive out here meet JC so we could go elk hunting. My wife would come in from work and open the shop up, and she'd have the shop open from like five to eight in the evenings, and she could sell you anything off the shelf. She was not privy to touch the bow press. The bow press did. There was a close sign on the bow press. She could use a computer. Press. She could take yeah. money. You needed arrows cut. Perfect. She could cut arrows. She could square arrows. I mean, she did. She could fletch arrows. She was amazing at that. She could take care of that. You needed broadheads, whatever, something small. All I lost my release. I needed a release off the shelf, whatever. She could take care of you. But uh, and some Saturdays you're gone bow hunting. Yeah. So that Saturday after I left, because I left that year, the twenty eighth fell on like a Thursday, right? And so I left, and that Saturday, a van pulled up. She she opened the archery shop up, you know, turned the open sign on, and a van pulls in. And she said six dudes got out with bows in their hands. She wanted to run over and turn that sign off. And, and they walked up the stairs and wanted, all of them wanted new bow strings. They wanted new peep sights. And she's like, sorry, guys. That Saturday was opening day of whitetail season in Kentucky, the first Saturday in September. So did they pull their bows out the night before and all start yeah. shooting and go, oh, these are all wore out. We need to get yeah. it fixed. We didn't, some we the, didn't touch it she since said last some of October. These guys said November. they hadn't even shot their bow yet. And it's like. You want this on now? Like don't no. don't be that guy. Don't. Oh, I didn't draw my <laughs> rifle elk tag, so I bought a bow last week, and I'm going bow hunt with my buddies. Yeah. My advice is, if you didn't draw your rifle tag, and your buddies say come go bow hunt, practice the next eleven months and go next yeah. year. Yeah, yeah, because it's not going to turn out. You know, it's like we talked about before. Uh, just like riding bulls, it's a lot different in your backyard. You may, I may be able, you may become, I'm a backyard hero here, yeah. man. I can, I can whoop about anybody. Well, you, you know, you can come and, and I can set you up with a bow for the first time and spend about an hour with you out there at the range. And I can have you hitting a paper plate consistently at 30 yards, but don't go hunting and think you're going to do that on a big white tail, a elk mule deer. It's way different. It, it it's not Foam the same. And hide is, <laughs> uh, yeah. And you know, you know, it, it's it's so hard to get people to understand that too. And uh, you know, going back to the wounded animals thing, we're we're always trying to to Evolve make make better. bow hunting look better in in the light. You know, and granted, things are happening. I don't care. I watched a video. I want to say last year. I think it was from the year before. But Levi Morgan, undoubtedly the greatest archer that's ever lived in our time right now. Uh, he's one more. 3D world titles than anybody. He shot an elk in the shoulder, wounded it, and they never found it. This is the dude that's pretty much the greatest archer that's ever lived. 
And so if if Levi can make a mistake, anybody can make a mistake. And so if if you're the normal guy in your backyard, you know, pounding on your chest that you how great you are and you never lost an animal, and then you want to get on Facebook and social media and and roast somebody because they put it out there that they lost one. You haven't bow hunted very long. Not not where I bow hunt. <laughs> no. And and so and it's gonna happen. I mean you're, you're the biggest thing the biggest piece of advice I'd have for stopping that is A, reduce your practice distance in half to your actual oh, yeah. field hunting distance. Yep. Right. So if you've practiced at hundred yards, max is fifty. Yeah. If you've practiced only at fifty yards, you're a twenty five yard shooter yep. out in the real world and that will dramatically increase your harvest odds, yeah. A, and then B, you know, practice drawing on a few animals in the real world in the situation that you know you're not going to shoot on but you can go okay here's and you'll be surprised how often oh i can make this 55 yard shot you let down and look with your binoculars there how many times there's a low-hanging branch between you and that that quote-unquote slam dunk shot so that's my advice is just try and We've got a video out there that we released last year for elk season. It's done really good. It's on YouTube. Um, What's it called? 72 Hours. Okay. And uh, we kill three bulls in 72 hours in two states. And uh, that's a that's bow hunting that's film a that's on YouTube. Bow, yep, that's a that's bow hunting film. You know, going back to that, so I'm I'm the first guy that kills a bull on that film. I've got a bull coming in, and I can see him clear as day. And I'm, I'm up a little tree I'm against. And our buddy Jace is filming. Jace sees about... 50 yards behind Jace calling. And uh, I draw back, and the bull comes into this opening. Well, I'm looking through this opening. What I'm not paying attention to is there is a little sapling 10 feet in front of me, and it's got a little branch out. Well, I cut that branch in half, that shot. I mean, just, and the arrow goes, you know. Wild. Yeah, it just goes out into the abyss, you know, out there. And uh, so the bull doesn't have a clue what happened. He runs out about 20 yards and stops. And then uh, he starts paralleling us trying to get our wind because he's like, okay, something scared me, so I'm going to, you know, wind. And uh, he walks to another opening, and, you know, I pinwheel him. And uh, he runs off, and I run up, and I see him. He's getting ready to fall over. I go ahead and shoot him again because that's just – That's elk. If they're moving, you yeah, put if, if they're on Yeah, the, if they're on their feet, you know, you shoot till they, they fall. And so I shot him again, and he fell. And uh, anyway, we're high-fiving. When that film came out, we had one dude that on YouTube he commented, "Did why would you even shoot at a, an elk in that thick of brush? Like why why would you do that?" And it's like he's like, "I I think one of the part of it he said after that was, uh, I can only imagine how many how many elk this guy's wounded. Actually, up until that point, I had never lost one. And so, you know, which we didn't comment back. That's bow hunting on anybody from us. We didn't, but." We had a very good group of guys that we have no clue who they are, but jumped on the bandwagon. They're like, look, the camera was 20 feet behind him. You don't know what he was looking at. How? Who are you to judge this guy? And the other thing to remember, everybody needs, when you're looking through the sight of your bow, oh, yeah. you're eight inches higher yep. than the arrow. So your your line of sight is yep. not actually the arrow's plane. But I want to touch on one thing is uh, your guys' logo. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I mean, that's bow hunting. Tell everybody the story real quick. Well, I mean, we, we started that bow hunting to kind of make light of bow hunting. Everybody gets super serious about it. You know, and our biggest thing is we try to show you everything. We we show you our screw-ups. Um, and so if you go look, we have an apparel line. 
And, uh, you know, you can go to thatsbowhunting.com and see the apparel line. And everything has, whether it's an antelope or yeah, a deer or an we, elk, we there's an arrow stuck elk. in a tree or over, flying over and, the back. And, uh, you know, we have a whitetail. He's got his head up like he's licking a branch, and there's arrow stuck in the ground below him. And, you know, <laughs> because that's bow hunting. Yeah, because that's bow hunting, because you always get those stories. That's how it starts. You get those stories. You get a group of guys sitting around. One dude's going to tell you, oh, my God, I had the biggest, the biggest, uh, boy, he was 400 inches. He come brushing through, and then, you know, my rest messed up, you know, and, and, and I missed him and he got away, you know, the big one always gets away or whatever. And, and somebody I, I in that group a, is going to go, well, that's bow hunting. That's bow hunting. And <laughs> yep, I had, I pulled back and had a ripcord rest <laughs> fail yeah, and not lift up. You can't shoot a drop away rest no. if it doesn't well, not deploy. And, 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 you know, going back to that, I, you know, I've went to a limb driven system on rest and mainly because of of some failures that I've had with a double different companies, I'm gonna not gonna bash anybody's companies because they they're all gonna every everyone's you know, gonna fail. You, yeah, you go, and even a whisker biscuit when it gets wore out, your arrow yeah. can fall through and fail. Well, so, you know, a lot of those, especially the ones that lock up, that are are cable driven, uh, not limb driven, but cable. You know, go to your cable. If they lock up, a lot of them you don't know that they're gonna fail until after you've shot that arrow. Limb driven, you know yeah. it's gonna fail yeah. before you shoot that. Yeah, limb driven, if if it's down before you draw and it comes up when you draw, it's gonna work. And so that's where I've I've went to limb driven. We we uh we have a real good relationship with Vapor Trails and the ears over there. The ears is an awesome guy. Oh man. Awesome rest. Yeah. So So anyway, we're getting a little long here. I know we get long winded. Well, so. I we're gonna have to do, have you back. It's awesome. <laughs> where can the guys go to check out all your stuff? Um, everything is that's bow hunting. Uh, we're on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, we we're trying to push more people to go to YouTube uh, and subscribe because that's where we're putting all our content as far as our videos and stuff. Uh, we post a lot of pictures and links to YouTube on those other social media platforms, and then uh, we've got uh, that's bowhunting.com where you can go see the apparel line we were talking about. We've got hats, shirts, sweatshirts. Um, and you know, and it's all got the that's bow hunting logos and uh it's it's if you've bow hunted very long, there's gonna be a shirt, a hat or something. One of those logos is gonna hit home with you and you're gonna be like, Okay, yeah, I've experienced that. I, that's my shirt right there. Uh and we get that a lot when we go to shows and stuff. Guys walk in and see the mule deer with the arrow going over his back or the antelope and they're like, Oh, I gotta have that or I'm getting that for my buddy or whatever, you know. <laughs> as a joke yeah. or as not a joke. Yeah. So, well, next time we'll have to have JC and you back on. Yeah. You're welcome anytime. It's been a pleasure. You know, I'm glad that you've, you've been here. So. Oh, yeah. I've enjoyed it, man. Until uh, next time.